Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and well-being, hosted by three faith leaders who love vulnerable conversations, anecdotes about food, and overall healthy living. We're so glad you're listening. This week, we're talking about joy, how it differs from fleeting happiness, and how we can cultivate it in our own lives. Here to discuss all of that are Lindsay Geist, Evan DeYoung, and Michael McCord. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another wonderful episode of the Not Alone Podcast, the podcast that explores conversations on faith and well-being. I am Evan DeYoung, and I am joined every week by Michael McCord and Lindsay Geist, in no particular order, just in left to bottom on my Zoom screen, because there's three of us. It's not a very good order. Thanks for clarifying that it's not like your favorite person versus your least favorite person or any of that. Yeah, I do. I do want to make sure that's the case because I don't know about you guys. Excuse me. I don't know about y'all. You all. All you. There was a big <laughs> debate before the episode started about what the plural of y'all is. Uh, we've all grown up in the South for the most part. And uh, y'all is n- wasn't a huge part of my vocabulary. I still don't really say it very much. Because you're from Illinois. Yes, but <laughs> Illinois is a very long state. So I like, the, I like the little bit of sneaky S you put in there, Michael. <laughs> Illinois. The noise. Oh. I just remember growing up, people always saying Illinois. And I, oh, yeah. I, just, I just remember that. But it's y'all, y'all is y'all. It needs no other. It is all inclusive of a single person, a couple people, or an entire field full of people. It's just y'all. Just like deer. There's there's no difference. It is different because thanks to my time in Texas, it needs to be all y'all for a very large group that the three of us will count as y'all. But if there were, you know, a dozen or more of us, then I would say all y'all come over here. So a dozen is where you draw the line. So you count. It's not quite scientific. (laughs) Dozen. (laughs) The Texas dictionary. (laughs) This. Would it's the not- lexicon be called the Texicon? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, you want to take us back to what we're talking about today? Because we could spend an hour talking about y'all versus all y'all. Anyway, y'all, all y'all. No, not all y'all. There's less than 12 of us here. Anyways, <laughs> y'all. I'm going to do all some research listeners. on y'all versus all y'all before next episode. <laughs> it's true. All y'all listeners, get excited because we are going to be talking about joy and happiness this week. Often elusive, fleeting, but a wonderful feeling when we obtain it. Joy and happiness. Somebody bail me out and tell me about what joy and happiness are and what the difference are between the two. And tell me why exactly we're going to have conversations about it. I think my favorite part is that you cued that up sounding the almost the opposite of joy. Um, we're going to talk about joy and happiness. Like, get, get some pep. Wake up. This is an exciting topic. Are y'all joyful? Let me hear you. <laughs> we're talking about joy because it is a word that is used often in the church and the Christian world of something that we need to be striving for. Uh, We always talk about this elusive pursuit of joy, that if we had joy, everything in the world will feel a bit better. And 
I think that we sometimes use the words joy and happiness interchangeably that are we really pursuing joy or are we pursuing happiness? What do y'all feel about uh, those two words, joy versus happiness? Well, before we started recording, we had this this conversation about that. Like, I, I do wonder, I mean, generally speaking, I think of happiness as sort of a a, a, a temporal experience that it, at least is what I've been. And I, what I wonder, what I'm getting at is I wonder if the church has sort of taught us to think of happiness as this sort of fleeting temporal experience from external factors when we then when we talk in in church language at least talk about joy it's it's come it's rootedness in relationship i think and it's withstanding it's resilient um it's sometimes you'll hear phrases like deep abiding joy this this um kind of uh, emotional experience that helps carry you through really hard times uh, so that you can really enjoy the good times too where happiness seems to exist in only the good times. That's kind of the construct that I've kind of come up with, at least through my my church upbringing. I, I don't know if that's true across, outside of the church context. I, I'm kind of curious about that. I'm wondering how it is spoken about, if that could give us some clues as to like the general underlying sentiment, right? Because people always say you can find joy in a situation, right? Like, this was a challenging situation, but I found joy in this and that. But I don't hear myself at least speak in this way or others speak in this way. I found happiness in this. Like, like this was a tough situation, but I found happiness in it. Like, bad things happened or this was ch- really tough, but I found happiness. No, you found joy in it. But it seems like happiness has a hard time persisting through sorrow, but joy and sorrow can exist like in tandem with one another. You know what I mean? sounds like we talk about joy like it's a choice like we can actively choose joy but we can't necessarily actively choose happiness or joy is joy joy just is and we were able to dip into that sort of reservoir of joy um or not but that it's persistent that it is ever present and there there's there's but even that feels a little, a little not not quite right. Um, where happiness is is something that's like given to you out of the spur of the moment, or you just happen to experience, happen upon happiness. We we talk a lot about how happiness is seems to be based more on external circumstances. Um, like we're happy because such and such happened, versus joy. Uh, seems to be this response to external circumstances with some sort of inner contentment that uh, joy isn't dependent on what's happening around us. It is our internal inner contentment and internal response to what's happening around us. So I don't usually do this, but I did some research. What? You researched? I know. I know. Like while we were talking kind of research or like like before the show research? I want you to think that I'm cool like Lindsay is, so I'm going to say that I did it before the show. <laughs> but this wink that I'm giving you is 
showing you. Actually, I'm not winking. I'm blinking and hiding one eye because I can't <laughs> wink. <laughs> so the term happiness. Let's we'll play a little game. What's the origin? The, the term it comes from the term hap, H A P P. What what language area of the world is this from? I mean, most things are Latin, like to have a Latin root. So, according to this website from dictionary.com. Okay, thank you for at least using some form of dictionary website. According to my personal blog, that's teed up for evidence. Let's talk about this later. The term happiness comes from the Old Norse term hap, meaning luck or chance. Hmm. Uh, it's dated back to the 1500s and are very much in use, such as good luck, success, and contentment. That's where it comes from. So its roots are in luck or chance. So I think there's some historical clues there to maybe break that down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's generally how, or at least how I've been taught to think of a, a framework for happiness. That it really just has to do with circumstantial activities. Or experiences that allow me to experience some kind of, you know, mood that's elevated and, you know, enjoyable. Because I think if you start to break it down, you're like, what exactly is, what does it feel like to be happy compared to what does it feel like to be what you would call joyful? I, I, I really struggle with the differences between the two. I feel like they've been used so interchangeably for so many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the church world f- seems to focus on this word joy so much that I I really don't always know if I can tell the difference between the two. Um, or I feel like I'm supposed to know the difference and supposed to be feeling joy and don't quite know what that is. Or if I'm feeling what I identify as happy, should I really be calling that joy? Um, I mean, this topic as I, part of why I did so much research before we started talking today is that I really struggle with figuring out the difference. Um, Mm -hmm. And people talk about it like we should, it should be super easy to identify. Can, I want to ask an overly obvious question, maybe. Why is it important that we know the difference between the two? I think that's a really insightful question. I think we do spend a lot of time, like you said, Lindsay, trying to tease those things apart. But my, my curiosity in this uh, series on joy is, is that we spend a lot of time in this uh, podcast talking about sort of uh, responding to negative experiences in our lives or, or emotions, really strong emotions and, um, mental health challenges and kind of those, we haven't spent a lot of time on the more positive attributes, what we, what we generally term, uh, as more positive attributes like joy and happiness. And, and for us to sort of think about how do those live in relationship with, you know, because it, when we talk about emotion, they, they, no emotion is, is, is good or bad. They just are emotions. But how does joy fit into this this other wheel of emotions that we that we experience? And so, I do wonder how important it is to try to tease those apart. The church seems really interested in that. 
I'll also say that when people have come into my counseling office in the past and I ask them what their goals are that they want to work on in our work together, a lot of people have said, I really want to be happy again. Hmm. And that is, I, I always ask what they mean by that or what does that feel like or look like? Because that is a not really a tangible goal. Um, and as a therapist, you often write uh, kind of a treatment plan or goal-oriented work together. And how do you measure or create a goal around, I want to be happy again? Yeah, if I, if I was in your office trying to explain it, what I would do is I would go into the future and start playing this episode for you so that I could tell you as my counselor, hey, listen, this is what you said it is. So <laughs> I would use this as ammunition in my sessions. Oh, that's a, goodness. That's a, that, that's a great point. So it is then for people, is happiness the, the absence of sorrow? Is it, is it the absence of hurt? Is, no, it's got to be more than that. And and what makes this even more confusing is that we've started uh, putting joy as this almost sort of Christian idol mm. that we need to be joyful and we need to always be actively pursuing joy. Um, which I wonder again, if that's part of us running from what people have deemed negative emotions. Again, Feelings are neutral, but we have deemed feelings as positive or negative a lot of times in our own minds. And so joy feels like our way of running away from that. And so I wonder if sometimes our pursuit of joy is because we're so afraid of the other feelings that we're supposed to be running towards joy. I definitely relate to that. I think as I've been thinking about it, much of the time, joy in my life tends to feel more like a reservoir and not something that like is there and then goes away and then comes back. That seems to be like, happiness seems to be way more in that category. Like something happened and it made me happy. Something happened and it's like a reaction, but joy is like a, like an undercurrent for me. I think mm. that I can build over time and that I could draw on, but if I don't, invest in it and allow God to be present in it, then I can feel that reservoir kind of sapped. Like it's like you, I've got it kind of stored up and there's like circumstances over long periods of time that, that build on it. But I can, I know that for sure that I've absolutely felt that well of joy go dry before when I don't do the things that, I need to do and be connected. Like, it, like I feel it right now. It doesn't mean that it's not there. Right. And it's not still persistent, but it's like, I can't like just kind of get beaten down. You know, when you have a really long week and like Thursday or Friday hits, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, I'm just kind of done. Like that's when I feel the joy, like the joy at that point, that spark of joy and happiness comes with the fact that I'm almost done with the week. <laughs> you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I'm going to get some like Liberty back on the weekend. 
Um, and so I can feel like as you have a couple weeks or a couple challenging seasons, the happiness comes and goes. You know, there's things that you do that make you happy, but I, you feel that like it's kind of like it's just kind of soaking and drying up. Like um, scripture talks a lot about cisterns, right? Like the, these mm-hmm. big water jugs like these kind of clay pots and there's a lot of references to like our heart and our heart like being like a cistern or like what happens when there's a leaky cistern because it's like we're put something in but it can't stay there because it's just pouring out the bottom and i think that analogy is most consistent with how i experience joy in my life and how i read into joy when i when i read scripture yeah so i'm sitting here thinking about kind of experiences of joy, which I think would be interesting to share some, but but when I think about moments where I've deemed or used the word joy or think think about joy, they're almost always associated with relationships, um, whether that's relationships with our creator in, in my faith tradition uh, that provide some sense of um, hope in, in a moment that shouldn't have hope. Um, or moments of happiness that shouldn't really be happy. Uh, and that's where maybe one of the working definitions to joy is that it, you get to experience some of those, the affects of, of happiness. But, but I think of it as almost all of them are born out of relationship, um, whether it's with my friends or my family, my, um, my children, my spouse. Um, and, and, and then in those moments of hurt or heartache or struggle, I can sort of, um, here's a good old word I think we should hearken back to, or, or remember. <laughs> I don't know where that word came from in my head. But, I you know, love it. Like that we can look back and see what I've gotten through previously. And what I've been, what I've experienced previously allows me to get through this present struggle. And I think that's one of the ways I've been thinking about joy as opposed now the question i have then that i was thinking is do moments of happiness shared with others using your definition fill a reservoir hmm. i love that distinction that joy has a momentum to it that when everything else stops joy still has oomph to it cuz i i feel like happiness tends to be more like a light switch it's, it's on, it's quick, I can see it, and then it, it's off. But it, there is this feeling of velocity and direction that can, that joy can come and provide. That's interesting. It sounds like joy is tied to some form of connection. Connection to others, connection to God. Purpose, yeah. Uh, that, that connection is the key part of joy. Connect something to beyond the present moment only. Yeah. Yeah, some sort of transcendent connection. Yeah. I think that's fair because I think there are moments in life that we've all experienced where had we not had some meaningful connection to something outside that present moment, that present moment would feel so destitute Hmm. and so isolated connection to the bigger picture you know yeah yeah and in whatever terms or experiences you have that associate it, it makes me think of um i don't know if you ever read victor frankl's man's search for meaning um he was a, a psychologist a researcher who uh who spent a good portion of his life in a concentration camp during the holocaust and 
and his area of research was meaningfulness, and, and he um, spent his time at the concentration camp thinking about this idea of meaning when everything else in the world has been stripped away and, and how resili- resiliency plays out and, and how meaning, having meaning in your life beyond its present moment um, enabled people to survive emotionally, mentally, when, when others could not. And I don't, so it, I read it in very early in college and just thinking about how powerful that was that you yeah, could, that's really powerful. you could kind of think about meaning and in, in the place where no meaning should exist. I'm getting some pictures ar- around this there that joy has momentum, that joy perspective, that joy is connectional. But what about happiness? So I don't think until I started talking about it, I don't think I thought about happiness as being a component of joy because I think I've always thought of them as sort of um, at odds with each other. Sure. Um, or or happy is like the cheap form of joy. Like, like there's some kind of order to things. But I do wonder if those temporal moments of 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 happiness of, of the endorphins and the, the connection what you feel like you're connected to something or you things feel really good in this moment that, that the world makes sense and and that when you share those moments with other people that that those moments of happiness those temporal moments of happiness sort of fill our reservoir that builds up our, our resiliency um, to endure things that are not so positive or not so not so calming or in or enjoyable and that 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 is maybe it's sort of that that movement towards towards joy it's foundational yeah that they work together yeah i definitely get that because they say right with the phrase that we've all heard money can't buy happiness Mm -hmm. I, i think is is a is an interesting one for us to cue on uh i i've heard i've heard it said Anyone that says money can't buy happiness has never ridden a jet ski. And that always <laughs> makes me laugh because it's really hard to not be happy when you're riding on a jet ski. Unless you're me and you're worried about all the things you could do wrong while on the jet, jet ski. Is that is that what it is? Like you hop on... I'm with you, Michael. That yeah, I, absolutely. I, I it makes me anxious what? being on one. Yeah. So it does not bring me happiness. I know we just totally See? wrecked your entire analogy. Sorry, Evan. <laughs> well, it's not mine. I didn't come up with the phrase "money can't buy happiness." So I, yeah, I'm not personally offended yet, but I want to break this down more. So you, a jet ski, is not an enjoyable experience for you because the consequences are ever looming. There, there are moments of happiness on a jet ski when you survive a nice jump and it feels really good. But then immediately you return to the idea that I could wreck this and hurt myself. Or in the last case I read when my daughter on the back who kept saying, go faster, go faster, go faster. There was some parental responsibility, I think, rolled into yours i feel i feel different <laughs> about a jet ski when it's uh you know 20 year old me flying across the lake versus i have the ultimate but i've always been that way i mean i of a I, child. I think of the consequences all the time like uh-huh. yeah. okay how do you think for the two of you how do you think that affects 
happiness and joy, that your perspective and mindset is one of caution and what ifs in consequences compared to being able to enjoy the moment? Is it because consequences be darned when you're think about your body skipping across the water like because you fell off like it's impossible it's a, a barrier you can't get past what is it well i i think that i have a hard time separating moments from other moments and so everything feels so interconnected um that it can be hard to just be in that moment and be in that uh kind of uh i can't even find the words of that joyful that transcendent feeling of like joy uh that makes you I, yeah i'm like i can i can sense what the feeling is i can feel it in myself right now as i'm recalling past times that have been really joyful but to articulate joy feels so challenging to me. The interconnectedness is really interesting to me. How how much time and space on either side of an event do you feel like there is that connectedness with like happiness? Like is like is there a point where it kind of resets? Do you have like 3 to 5 days where that 3 to 5 days activities affect this day and then it kind of goes forward or is it kind of more of a long-term trend like stressful day after stressful day after stressful day wears you down and then or you know the way that relationships connect one thing carries into another because I'm not really like that like I like pretty much for me like when I go to sleep and wake up it's kind of like everything kind of gets reset I know that's going to sound like a huge shock to you guys (laughs) You're so laid back, Evan, that I, it's not that you're disconnected from day to day. It's just that you are able to hit that reset button. I think more easily than a lot of people, you can say, okay, start fresh. It's going to be a different day today. And nothing from yesterday is going to impact that unless I want it to. I think this is one of the most important things that we should talk about in this episode, because people's response to hurt is one of the most judged aspects of their life, particularly in the church, where someone experiences hurt, and the next day they bounce back, and they're 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 at least outwardly sort of their normal selves, and people can't understand why aren't they hurting more? Something must be weird. Something's not right, or someone else doesn't have that ability to bounce back, and and needs to go through a uh, an experience of grief and hurt and heartache, um, and that neither of those are bad responses. But I think there is an expectation, sometimes in the church, that um, there's this proper amount of time for you to be sad, and then the, and then you need to have joy, which gets you out of that. And there is some, as you just hear, among the three of us, a very different experience of joy and happiness and um I imagine the same way, sorrow and hurt and brokenness and those sorts of things that we also experience that, that we, there's a lot of variety in these, uh, the way these terms are experienced in reality. Sounds like we almost talk about joy as a life preserver thrown out to us. Like that's going to be the thing to get us out of 
the pain and hurt. And while part of me feels like that tr- is true, sometimes I think, again, we idolize it, that that's going to be the thing that will rescue us without us uh, attempting to tread water or swim a little, that, that there's kind of a both and in that. I want to explore that like life preserver analogy because immediately where my mind went was someone else throwing you a life preserver when you, not you specifically, Lindsay, but you and the general you, you all. Is that, I was just going to ask, is that similar to all yous? All yous, usins. <laughs> oh, goodness. Someone well, throws usins a life preserver. We need a glossary of terms at the end of this episode. I, I, yeah. I agree. Need to learn properly speak Southern. Mm-hmm. I'm learning. So... It's taking me 30 years. And then you so, got the whole Texan, which is a whole nother language. So. It really mm-hmm. is. Yeah. But yeah, so th- people throw a life preserver. It's Thank you. So I feel like I'm going to make a distinction. I don't know if I agree with it or not. Okay. Because I haven't thought through it. I feel like joy tends to be inf- like infectious and happiness tends to be more siloing. Like, if I'm hanging around somebody hmm. who's just happy, I'm like, okay, they're happy, they're giddy or whatever. But if somebody's, like, joyful, just, like, truly joyful, and you have those people in your lives that are they're always going to be like that, you know you call them, they're just going to be that reservoir of joy. Like, that, I feel that, you know? But if they're just happy, it's like, okay, we had a happy experience, but I feel like I can get infected by someone's joy. So I wonder what the what the power and happiness and joy and how we would distinguish it exists in relationship as well. I, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad kind of visual of what joy may be, especially if you think of joy as something that ex, that's experienced in relationship with another, that it in in my experience, when I've experienced the most painful moments of life, the hardest moments, the deepest sorrow, it has been a relationship with someone else who has enabled me to withstand it. Hmm. Like, like trying to uh, sur- survive as a child the death of your father all by myself would probably have been pretty insurmountable. Um, but to have relationships and meaningful people, I was able to get through that in a way that I otherwise might not have been able to get through that. And so I, I think there, there is some image for me where I think of joy, again, as something that is birthed out of relationship. And so Life Preserver may be, may be a very real tool of what joy can do. I don't think that's the only thing joy does. Joy also enables contentment, and uh, which is a big a big maybe an area topic of conversation we ought to talk about sometimes is this idea of contentment. When is enough enough? And I think joy enables contentment. Um, it enables maybe, you to, yeah, go ahead. Maybe joy and contentment are better synonyms than joy and happiness. Cause we use joy and happiness interchangeably, but I wonder if joy is more closely linked to contentment. 
that it's not this overwhelming, um, like pep in your step, happy go lucky feeling is that it is that as, as we described earlier, this undercurrent, this deeper feeling of contentment breeds joy. This seems like something that's ripe for one of those another language captures the difference between the two a lot more than English does moments, you know, where you have these languages who have a lot more uh, complicated understanding of how to explain things and the different types of love and uh, situations, actions, feelings, emotions. I feel like other languages have like a word that, that specifically captures these complex ones. And in English, we're like, all right, let's string together 10 of these little ones to make up what this means. And there's just like a cultural implication with some other languages around things like joy and love, where it's more naturally woven into the fabric of communication compared to in English, where we're like, not happy, joy good. Like, it feels like sometimes approaching things with the English language is, uh, it's, a, it's beautiful in some ways, but it also creates some kind of inherent challenges. This is one of those ones that I feel like someone else in the world has just nailed down somewhere and we're just not aware of it. So, so you're saying that our opening conversation about the word y'all is actually a really great image for us to understand joy. Because so much of it's lost in, in vernacular, in language, and, and maybe even transcends language. Because when I sit here thinking about trying to share a story where I identified the experience of joy, it does kind of bring a loss for words. It's not, it's, it's a little hard to be specific about what, what my body was experiencing, my, my brain, my, like, what was I experiencing that made it different, that I called it joy, but I just, it is just different. What do you think the relationship between joy and gratitude is? I, I think those two things live together. That, um, having a sense of gratitude in one's life is probably born out of meaningful relationship about, uh, also, um, born out of withstanding heartache. And so being, therefore being grateful when heartache isn't existing, uh, or being grateful that there are people who are with you when heartache exists. I think that gratitude can be something that is practiced. It is uh, something that's often talked about in therapy that of creating a gratitude list or journal each day, because the act of looking for things to be grateful for is a mindful activity where we are being more observant of the world around us. And I think that helps breed joy. Because if we're consciously looking for moments that we are grateful for, uh, getting those glimpses of goodness, we can probably create that undercurrent or, or more easily tap into that undercurrent of contentment and joy because we're being so present in that moment. And so I think that having a general attitude, this sounds so cliche, attitude of gratitude, um, 
I love it. Clip it. Cuss it. Ship it. <laughs> Two day prime. Is, is because uh, an attitude of gratitude, I think, that we can cultivate and create. Um, it is my, uh, something mindful that we do. Mm. I really love the way that you just connected gratitude to the perspective element of joy. I think as we're talking and looking around it, uh, the perspective keeps coming back up for me that joy has an interconnected relationship with perspective and gratitude is a tool that we can use to connect us with that perspective element of joy is a really interesting thought activity for me. I love that. Easier said than done, but I, I, I wonder, I wonder if, if the three of us and anybody listening, uh, Try to keep a gratitude journal for a few days and kind of touch base again when we talk about joy next. Of it, was it easier for us to look for joy, connect with joy, um, or even understand joy when we're trying to be uh, mindfully grateful of things around us. I think mindfulness is mindfulness is a really helpful construct for us to think about in engaging the joy that lives within us or or the, the reservoir joy, because I do think that in those moments, I think much of our lives we spent looking ahead or, or maybe looking down at the work that's right in front of us and experience and, and miss all the stuff that's around us. I know that's true in my relationships with my family and my friends and my children. I think I, I miss a lot because of the responsibility that always exists. There's always more responsibility, just like there's on a jet ski, worry about all the things that could happen. I was going to say. <laughs> like, that's a perfect example for me because I, I, can, I could be on the vehicle that should bring me joy. Um, not saying that jet skis are necessarily, but to use that illustration, I could be on the very vehicle that brings joy. The joy, but because my my worries and my anxiety and my obsession with work and getting things right robs me of the opportunity to experience that joy because of the 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 work that's just thrusting me forward. And yeah, so that that practice moment. of yeah. of mindfulness and of gratitude of looking up and looking around, taking in who's with you uh, and where you are. Those are all things, I think, tools that would help us to to dip into that reservoir. So maybe, so maybe we, I mean, kind of my takeaway, what I'm hearing from this and us talking about it is that when we've spent so much time idolizing joy and trying to achieve this moment of joy, maybe instead of just trying to get to this moment, we spend more time focusing on the tools uh, and disciplines that can uh, move us in that direction. So instead of destination focus, we can be more journey focused through that all. I think it's helpful. I think so maybe to accompany your journal of gratitude to check your attitude um, yeah, these, some of these practices of mindfulness, I think, are really, really help, helpful. I mean, I, 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 
there's lots of great resources on mindfulness and, and practices mm -hmm. that maybe you, you could embody for a little bit to see if that helps you to take into account everything that's around you um, with an attitude of gratefulness um, to see those things. And then when, when things are really hard, and maybe that's where you are right now, where there's no, doesn't feel like there's anything to be grateful for, you can look for that, um, that life preserver of a person, a relationship, who can hold you up during this time. Because I know some of you are probably in a place where it doesn't feel like you've got a whole lot to be thankful for. But um, may you find somebody that you've shared life with that can share that burden with you. Yeah. During this moment, what I love about focusing on gratitude is that it helps it kind of come back to smaller things. It doesn't have to be, I am grateful for everything in my life right now. It can be, I am grateful that my favorite song came on the radio as I was driving down the road. Mm. I am grateful that I woke up today. I am grateful for the sunshine. I'm grateful for conversation with the two of y'all that gratitude can be large things or small things. And on really hard days, we got to start small. I'm grateful that I woke up today. I'm grateful that I had a hot cup of tea this morning. I, I am grateful that I went to work another day that it doesn't have to be these huge, big, overwhelming things. It reminds me of a toddler at an Easter egg hunt. Have you ever seen a toddler at an Easter egg hunt? Like a two or a three-year-old. Yes. Barely walk. And you know, when they do Easter egg hunts for little, little kids, I don't read, it's not really much of a hunt. They just kind of dump them all in a field. Right. And so mm -hmm. as a, as a parent or as an adult or anyone volunteering, you look at it and you're like, there they are. There's the hunt, right? <laughs> like, like here they go. And you release these children in like a line and they have these baskets they can barely hold. The baskets are half the size of them anyways, right? They're swinging them around. But every time a toddler sees an egg on the ground, just sitting in the middle of the field, there's hundreds of more eggs. They're, they reach down, they're like, <gasps> And they put it in their basket. And then, like a puppy, they look up, and there's another one two feet away in the field, and they kind of waddle over to that. There's a 50-50 chance they flung their basket around and dumped out all the eggs they had in it. But then they grab that egg, and they put it in the basket. And you have parents who are, like, tossing eggs back in the basket, like, you dropped this one, you dropped this one, you know? Um, and so I, I think that that sometimes is how I feel when you talk about that gratitude, is, like, I just need to, to, to change that perspective, where I look at it, I'm like, ooh, and I take one, and I put it in the basket, and then I waddle over to the next one, and it's like, you know what? I could get to the next egg. I could get to the next one. And yeah, maybe I lost half of them out of my basket because I was too distracted by what was next, but I'm just going to pick up an egg. And by the end of it, I'm going to look down, and there's going to be a bunch of eggs in that basket, regardless of if some mm -hmm. fall out, regardless of if I like what's inside, but I'm, I'm cognizant of it. I'm waddling around. I have that sim simple kind of mind of a child in the way that I'm exploring gratitude. And I just pick up an egg, and I put it in my basket, and I just keep waddling around the field. And to be honest, that's how I feel in life sometimes. But you know what's simultaneously happening to that beautiful story you just told? The other parents 
are shoving eggs in their little kids' baskets so they can take home the most eggs. <laughs> and, and so you're like, you're, the the child is celebrating this moment. Every little these little glimpses of moment, but we're we're immediately trained, even as young as children, to just keep pressing forward. So what we're we're up against is a lifetime of uh, pressing forward of a Protestant work ethic. Just keep going, keep pressing, keep working. Um, and so what, what Lindsay is suggesting to us goes against everything that most of us have learned. And to, to be still, to, to, to see the Easter eggs, Evan, and to celebrate each one of them as along the journey for the next week, and then come back and see what, what kind of experiences are born out of that, that slowing and kind of pushing up against the, the culture that we've been given. We'll see what happens. I don't think I've ever given homework on a podcast episode before. It's implied. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be, it'll be fun. It's the right season for it. That's right. I mean, what better time than now to practice some attitude of gratitude i can't drop it it's too good so thank you everyone so much for listening thanks to justin Patton for producing this episode and doing the music we really appreciate it thanks everyone for your uh, reviews on the podcast uh, you can review us on all your favorite podcast platforms and we look forward to continue to hear from you as we jump into next week's episode on happiness and joy thanks everyone